Hello, hello, my dear friends. It's Love Service Wisdom again with myself, Rada Wepner. I've taken about a month off from putting out an episode because I was doing some traveling and giving myself a little bit of a break. And I'm happy, happy to be back at it and sharing this episode with you with an incredible woman, Rena Bayer. She and I met through the Polaris Insights Institute, um, or I should say the Polaris Insights Center, where we both took ketamine-assisted psychotherapy trainings this fall and are in like a, a group, I don't know, like a group thread of different ketamine therapists all across the country who have also taken this Polaris training. And in one of the threads, it was suggested that we do some podcasts with some ketamine therapists to talk about treatment and what it's like, et cetera, et cetera. And Rena volunteered to be on my show. So we had this conversation a little over a month ago, and she's just awesome. She's a psychotherapist and a life coach who's really warm and understanding, and she brings an eclectic approach to what she does. She's also a mom and a wife. She is out of New Jersey, and she owns and operates Fostering Greatness, where she sees psychotherapy Uh, clients in her private practice. And then she works with trauma, childhood behavioral concerns, grief and loss, relationship concerns, anxiety, depression, stress, all kinds of things. And she was one of the first, not the first, but one of the first therapists to offer ketamine-assisted psychotherapy to clients struggling with depression anxiety, and trauma in New Jersey. So she talks about in this podcast how she got into that work and also what her work looks like when she's when she's using ketamine with her clients. And she also talks about her work with mothers. She loves to do um, practices for time and stress management for mothers, particularly now during the COVID phases where lots of us moms are also homeschooling at the same time. So just a super interesting podcast with Rena diving into her world. And you can learn more about all of her offerings at fosteringgreatness.com and follow her on Instagram, Remedies with Rena. Remedies with Rena. I'll, of course, put links to her um, her sites in the show notes. And check out to the Polaris Insight Center, where we both did some training this past fall. If you're looking to learn more about ketamine therapy and find resources for both patients and clinicians, they're just awesome. And that's um, where also back in the winter in December, I had a podcast with Veronica Gold. She's one of the main clinicians there at the Polaris Insight Center. And she was on my podcast where we talked about the MDMA assisted therapy as well as the ketamine therapy and talking about all these psychedelic substances. I want to let you know that I'm really excited to be a part of the Enthea Wheel Project out of the Esalen Institute that's coming up the end of this month from Friday, April 23rd through Monday, the 26th, there is going to be the Enthea Wheel launch, an eight-part series in collaboration with the Esalen Institute where it will be hosted, but a lot of it will be online as well. It, each course is going to focus on a different medicine, different plant medicine or psychotropic, psychedelic drug that will guide participants through the ancient cultural origins, ceremonial traditions, and context and integration practices, all with a trauma-informed focus to bridge the world of ceremony and science to explore the evidence for these healing these therapeutic healing psychedelics and sacred plant medicines. There'll be simulated journeys, so no medicine will be ingested, but we'll talk about um, how we use the ancient living technologies like prayer and breath work, meditation, visualization, visualization, sound movement, dance, ritual, and ceremony to induce deep states of consciousness and explore the non-ordinary 
ordinary reality. And I'll be there, like I said, the end of this month, April 22nd, with, of course, East Force, but also Joy Tima and Lana Snow, Justin Beretta, Dream Molnick, Paul Stamens, James Fadiman, Robin Carhart-Harris, and more. Some of these will be virtual. Some of us will be live there in person to talk about psilocybin and the ceremony and science of psilocybin. So I'll be there presenting the somatic piece, the body piece, the trauma-informed body piece of what we might what we could perhaps do or how we begin to befriend our body as we prepare ourselves for a psilocybin journey and perhaps what, how we might utilize body and body practices, body awareness while on the journey. And then of course the integration piece as well. So, so excited to be part of the Entheo Wheel ceremony, science, educational, experiential event that's happening at Esalen. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to esalen.org, E-S-A-L-E-N.org backslash workshops and the Entheo Wheel will come up. So check that out. Like I said, it's an eight-part series. So there'll be different, eight different medicines that will be talked about over the course of the program. And eventually this is all going to turn into an e-course too. So if you can't make the live streamed events that are happening that weekend, hopefully you can check out the um, e-course when that goes live also. So that's really cool. And then in May... I am leading my very first bhakti yoga module for my yoga teacher training school. And that's open to anybody that wants to learn more about bhakti yoga. And it's an online course also, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's about 20 hours. And we will, I'll guide you through the, the path of the heart, the path of devotion, different practices to open and awaken the heart, different cultural traditional practices of bhakti and what that means and it's gonna be just so wonderful it's i'm 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 a serious bhakti yogi while i'm like a self-awakening yogi too in the kripalu tradition uh prana flow yogi not in the shiva ray tradition but in the in like the the lineage of how do i access and awaken my own prana within and allow it to guide me And it always takes me right to my heart. And my practices, especially this past year with yoga, have become so heart-focused through chanting and kirtan and meditation. So I just can't, can't, can't wait to offer that um, in May. If you want more info, just shoot me an email, radha, R-A-D-H-A, at marissawepner.com. And I'll let you know more. You can also find it on Eventbrite as well. And uh, yeah, so check that out. Let's see, anything else to let you guys know? I don't know. I just got back from Costa Rica, which is one of my most favorite places in the whole entire world. I got to go to Nosara, which is the home of my yoga school, the Nosara Yoga Institute. I also got to visit my teachers, Don and Amba, and that was super duper duper special to me. I hadn't seen them in three years. So our time together was very precious as well as the decomp time on the beach with Krishna and then his performance, his ceremony with, um, or four, I should say, for Fight for the Forgotten, a nonprofit that supports the pygmies in the Congo headed up by the big pygmy. Justin Wren, who's an MMA fighter. All that's another story for another time. But that's just to say, I feel refreshed. I feel excited for spring and the turning of the seasons and really looking forward to all these new offerings, the Entheo Wheel and the Bhakti Yoga. And of course, the Ketamine Therapy too, that's ongoing for me here in Boise. So I hope that by listening to this podcast with Rena, you learn more about what the possibilities are for you perhaps or someone you love that might be struggling with depression, PTSD, anxiety, and how ketamine-assisted therapy might help. With that, let me turn you over to the wonderful Rena Bayer. Enjoy.
Welcome, Rena, to Love Service Wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to connect more of a, um, more with you about the work that you do. I n- know that we, uh, you know, we connected over the Polaris Insight ketamine-assisted therapy or ketamine-assisted psychotherapy group. And is ketamine something that you practice with now? Yes. Yeah, it's part of the psychotherapy practice that I do. I'm curious. Tell us more about that. Okay. Um, So I started back in 2016 in private practice. um, And not too long after that, is when I met the doctor that I currently work with. And I, at the time, had a bunch of trauma clients that, um, I wouldn't say were stuck in therapy, but talking about your trauma in talk therapy is very difficult. And so I was kind of struggling with them, how to get them to move forward in the therapies that I was taught up to that point. And the doctor was working with a bunch of people for mental health in ketamine, and he didn't have a therapist. And he was noticing more and more people were trying to open up, wanted to open up, and he just knew, like, I need a therapist in this space. And so we organically found each other at just the right time, um, and we started working together. So I've been doing it ever since, and it's been super transformative for my clients, but also for me, you know, the people that come in, they're sometimes suicidal, um, or they just have insane trauma backgrounds, and they haven't really found a way to work through it and fix it and deal with it. And so the ketamine really helps them to do that. And so when you're working with the ketamine-assisted therapy, would it be that you're obviously doing your intake sessions and you're establishing a relationship and you're understanding their history and what's going on for them, and then you do a ketamine session... And then that ketamine session helps them. Are you directing them into what's been pinpointed as their trauma in that work? So that's what's interesting and different about therapy with ketamine versus traditional therapy um, is that sometimes I do direct. There might be things that they talk about prior. You know, I want to go here. I want to go there. Um, Or they may say something and I say, oh, that reminds me of this thing you said. Do you want to go there? While they're on ketamine. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time while they're on ketamine, that isn't happening, though, which is really interesting. Most Mm. of the time. So there's like a beginning portion, right? When we do IV ketamine. So there's about 10 to 15 minutes before they're actually feeling the effects of the ketamine. So that's usually where we'll talk, we'll process, see how things are going, more of a traditional therapy session. Uh Um, And that's usually where I'll check in if they're somewhere they want to go. But then once they're feeling the effects, I kind of let them go into that Mm. journey wherever it takes them. And so um, I'm more of a guide in that process. But sometimes I do direct, but not often. Mm -hmm. Because they're also in a dissociated state. So it's somewhat difficult to be in conversation, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what's interesting about IV ketamine um, is that we can lower the rate of how fast it's going in and we Mm -hmm. can lower the dose of how much they're getting. And so when they're trying to do talk therapy with the ketamine, the dose is lower um, and then sometimes even the rate is lower as well, depending on how it affects them. So a lot of them are able to chat during the infusion itself, but it's not the same as a talk therapy session, of course. No, because also in my experience with the clients that I have materials coming up that it could be about anything. Right, right. Yeah. And that's, I think, why I don't direct them because we may think we want to go somewhere or we may think something's really important, but that's really subjective. Even on our own, right? We think, oh, this is important. I've heard, you know, that this is something I should be dealing with, or mm-hmm. we think we know, right? And then when they're in that ketamine state, something else happens, right? Their brain goes where their brain actually wants to go. Their mind and body go where they need to go. Mm-hmm. And that's actually something that I work on prior to even starting ketamine therapy. We have a few traditional therapy sessions prior just to talk about that, right? Like, let go of all the social niceties. You don't have to look at me. I'd rather you get comfortable. I'd rather you close your eyes if you want to. And there's no um, pressure to mm-hmm. hold that conversation that we may feel in traditional therapy. We have to hold a conversation. And even that can be argued. But especially in ketamine therapy, 
that's something that I always say to them is like, I don't want you to have that pressure. I want you to go wherever. And there may be lots of silence, but it's not going to be silent for you, right? They're thinking, they're processing, they're seeing where their mind is going. Mm -hmm. And so they're having the ketamine experience, which might be somewhere between 30 minutes to 60 minutes to 90 minutes, depending on the depth and the dose. And then they come out of it. And then how, what does that look like in your practice? So for us, I'm with them from start to finish until they walk out that door. And through this pandemic, that's been quite interesting because now I'm virtual, but um, I stay with them. So I'm there before the ketamine gets started. I'm there as it's going in and I'm there after it ends. Typically, as soon as it ends, they do want some time just to themselves. I usually end every infusion with reflection time. So either it's like a guided relaxation or I have some ketamine playlist that I got through Polaris that I've used um, or other ones that I've created along the way, but they are usually already in that relaxed state and they're usually not talking. And so I just let that continue. Mm. And it's usually about another 10 to 15 minutes before they kind of come back to me. And that's usually when they start talking and they say like, oh, I'm coming back and I feel this and that, or I remember I said that and that. And then we give them that time to process. So they're usually in our office for about two hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been finding when I do solo sessions with ketamine therapy, and I'm using trochies with those most of the time, sometimes it's IV, that it can be three hours that we're in session. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what's so interesting about the different ways to administer there's mm -hmm. different protocols that we all follow depending on how we're administering the ketamine. Yeah, but it is that window. It's a two to three hour window. And, you know, going into a non-ordinary state of consciousness, you can't like pick a bullseye and say, well, we're going to end at 315 or whatever it might be. Exactly, exactly. And we, we usually uh, schedule them with more than enough time versus, mm -hmm. you know, back to back. Mm -hmm. So... I'm curious when you say that it's helped your clients with trauma, then where have you noticed or how have you noticed them get, let's say, unstuck or move forward or go deeper? So for me and my clients, what I've noticed is in traditional talk therapy, whatever modality you use or modalities, the stuck point usually comes from shame, right? Like these are usually things they've been told not to share by the abuser or the perpetrator. Um, or they just didn't want to share out of shame or guilt. Sometimes there's self-blame. There's a lot of emotion is, is in that process. And so that plays out in the therapy room. And so I find with the clients that do get stuck and really struggle, it's usually because they have you know multiple traumas. It's very in-depth, um, maybe over numerous years or maybe just a, a very big event. And so... Um, the ketamine just really helps them to open up. It's not, so many people talk about it as a truth serum. I don't find that. I don't find that they say things they don't want to say. But what I do find is that there's things they haven't wanted to say, haven't had the courage to say. And then the ketamine kind of allows them to get that. Mm -hmm. I don't even want to call it courage, but that oomph they need to be like, all right, I can do this and I can talk about this. And it kind of takes away some of those um, walls we build to keep ourselves safe in those trauma experiences. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I'm thinking about a client I had recently who was deeply traumatized by a death and we did a ketamine session together. And then on, on the other side of it, talking, he shared just at like the, the intense level at which the death affected him. And he said, I've never said that to anyone. I've never been able to say that. Yeah, I think that's such a beautiful part of ketamine therapy is hearing that. I feel like as therapists, we don't often get told that, even when it happens. But especially in ketamine therapy, I hear that so often. Like, oh, I haven't been able to say that. That feels good to say. And even clients that have really intense experiences, right? Like they're really talking about trauma. and They may be crying uh, or weeping in some way. They will always say, like, that felt good at the end, right? Even though it was so difficult, so hard. They say, like, I needed that. Like, I haven't been able to process that or I haven't been able to express that or I didn't know I was repressing that. Something along those lines. And it's it's a really nice catharsis, I feel like, for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are you noticing in your own practice or how do you deal with in your own practice the somatic experience or emotion trauma in the body? 
And have you worked that into your ketamine therapy or maybe you're accessing it with breath? Yeah, so I was gonna say, I access it through breath. I find that it's really interesting and the more connections I make in the ketamine therapy field, you see more and more differences in that aspect with the somatic aspect. Um, I'm on the East Coast, I'm in New Jersey. And so I find, I do see a difference between West and East Coast. I feel like the East Coast is more medical model still. And so, you know, that's kind of where we started, right? We started with like, the, the traditional therapist does not touch their patients, right? And we call them patients. And, um, you know, we don't need salt lamps or mood lighting. And right, so like <laughs> the doctor and I ourselves, we kind of knew, at least I did. I said, like, we need to set the tone, right? In traditional therapy, I do dim the lights or turn them off and, and put on a lamp or something. So we already kind of had that covered. But over time, as because we were one of the first clinics, if not the first, I can't say that for sure, but I think we were the first clinic to even do KAP. I can't speak to whether or not we were the first to do ketamine for mental health, but there weren't many around us. All mm -hmm. of our connections really were on the West Coast. And so we were like learning from them and incorporating things and learning about the culture, right? Because that was really important to us as well that we weren't just gonna co-opt something and just like stick our label on it, right? And pretend we knew what we were doing. So we did a lot of learning in that domain, but over time we really did come a long way. But in terms of that medical model, I feel like we're still a little stuck there with, um, you know, and right now with the pandemic, I'm virtual. So I'm not touching anyone, of course, but just getting comfortable with that idea of everything we learned in school, of like you never touch a client and boundaries and this and that. I feel like in this space, a lot of that has to change. Oh yeah. And um, yeah. And so for right now, we've been doing it with breath work because a lot of that work that I was learning, especially through Polaris, um, was during this pandemic. And so right before the pandemic, I wasn't touching anybody. We were doing a lot of breath work. And so I still continue that now being virtual, but that's been on my mind. Like once I'm back in the office, that's something that we will incorporate like a more uh, closeness. I was doing more of the therapy model, right? So they're like, you know, maybe six feet away, who knows, but they were a few feet away from me. And we're already talking about changing that up. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, of course, do somatic body work without touching, right? Like it's the patient yes. or the client moving their own body or experiencing yeah. their own body without outside uh, touch. Yeah, there's lots definitely, of different ways to do definitely. it. It's kind of fun and exciting, like you're speaking to, we're on the frontier of these modalities and we're creating it as we go and we're growing and learning as we go. And there's a lot that's blending and shifting out of that more sterile medical model, which in I, in my own practice feels very beneficial. Definitely. I think especially when we're talking about non-ordinary states of consciousness, that's needed, right? Like that's something that we're very big on in the office. It doesn't feel like a medical office. Um, you know, it's very homey the, through the paintings and the, and the colors of the walls and the furniture. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important to have that feeling that when you walk in, it feels homey and safe and comfy, um, but still safe in terms of medical, especially I feel like, again, East Coast, West Coast, on the East Coast, all of our patients are like, where's the doctor, right? And he, is he following me? And our doctor is very big on like checking in before every single infusion and at the end of every single infusion. Um, and he, he does all of the intakes either with me or he does his own and I do my own. And so we're still very much involved. And I think a lot of our clients, at least on our coast, really need that still. Like they don't, they want it to feel very medical at the outset, but mm -hmm. then they very quickly realize when they're doing their infusion, that's the last thing they want or need. Yeah. Yeah. It's great that the two of you are working in such wonderful partnership together. I still personally have a little bit of a hard time or I'm slightly dumbfounded by the clinics that don't have any therapy aspects to them and they're more outpatient clinics where you're going to receive the infusion and it is still very medical without the yeah, container. Yeah, yeah, we've gotten a few clients that have started in that model and did not like it for various reasons and then found us. Um, and the doctor and I have actually been talking about, we need to figure out a way to get the word out about the differences, right? So that clients can make their own decision about what they wanna do and how they wanna do it. Um, but that's actually been at the forefront of our minds of like more clinics need to understand therapy's role and well, why it could be so useful. Well, e even outside of therapy too, with ketamine, the patients are having, can have a deeply 
spiritual experience. And if they just walk in and they've never had an experience like that or never had a psychedelic experience or with non-already states of consciousness, and then they do, but they're by themselves for the most part, and then it's done, it's like, okay, bye, have a nice night. It feels just so strange to like the the um the sacredness of what just happened yes yeah that's a lot of our clients come in saying that right like they either had some type of either breakthrough or thought they really wanted to process and there was just nobody there to process it like not like a human body right like not even mm-hmm. a therapist just a human person um or that they felt scared, right? Sometimes they can put yeah. you into that mindset of like, you know, what is this and what's going on and am I For safe? sure. And yeah, we had a client come to us who the way I guess it was set up in that clinic, the crash cart was right in front of them. And they happened <gasps> to have had experiences in hospitals and knew what a crash cart looked like. And so the whole time they're just staring at this crash cart thinking I'm going to die. And that's why this cart is there. And oh, that's the last thing we want them to no. be thinking about. In an and then the mo- like, yep, I just died. That was it. I'm dead. I've had those yeah, moments on yeah, psychedelics. And getting, yeah, and they were getting an IV infusion and, you know, the pump beeped or something, you know, either when they were done or maybe it beeped for some other reason. And so they were like, oh, my God, that's the beep that I'm dying, right? So that's not what we want at all. No. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Well, f- awesome that you've been working with it for so long. It's really wonderful. Yeah. I actually just joined ASKP3. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. But um, tell me they more. just rebranded. What's, okay, so they're the um, Association of Ketamine Physicians is where they started. And mm. now it's uh, practitioners, physicians, um, psychiatrists. And the, mm-hmm. the three came from that because they realized quite early on, but they just rebranded, that therapy was so important and integral. And all of these people, all these players can help each other versus like, only we can do it, only you can do it. We don't need therapy. We do need therapy. So I just joined so that I could kind of have that voice right from the therapist's perspective of what we bring to the table and why we're important and how we help and all that. Um, That was kind of part of my mission is like, I want to get in that space and have a voice for therapists and talk about this. Oh, great. Yeah. The woman I work with who runs our clinic, she's a CRNA. She's on the board of that, um, that group, that academy. Oh, who is it? Nicole Bailey. Oh, yes. I know her. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, that's I who I work with. Connection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. She runs our clinic, which is, which is, she's just wonderful. I'm so blessed to work with her. She's fantastic. Yeah. Yes, she is. She's brilliant. Mm-hmm. So, small yeah. world. Yeah, that is a small world. That's so crazy. But that's, I think, the thing about the world of ketamine is that it is quite small still. So you will find that six degrees of separation or less in this world. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. It's exciting. Again, it's like a, it's the spear tip, right? And so we're all still pretty close together and creating this as we go. So like you said, the fact that there's um, this model where the different types of therapists or practitioners are honoring each other so fully versus drawing lines in the sand and mine versus yours. It's really hopeful. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. It feels good. I've always worked in that like collaborative environment and multidisciplinary environment. And it's just great that there's an organization that thrives on that and really builds on that. Yeah, exactly. Well, wonderful. And I know you also do coaching, right? And you do a lot of work with emotional management and sometimes with children as well. You want to speak about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So I started off as a therapist, of course, and emotional management skills have been at the forefront of my therapy forever, right? I feel like none of us are taught coping skills. None of us are taught about emotions and having emotions and how to how to have emotions and how to deal with emotions. And so with the pandemic, that kind of exploded, right? I was getting calls upon calls and everything always boiled down to like, there's a lot going on, the pandemic's happening around me and I don't know how to manage it. Um, and so I was just, I just continued working with people the same way I always had, but it was just in the back of my mind kind of bothering me. Like, I wish I could get this out more. So I revived my Instagram page that was initially just like, 
I don't know. I think I just set it up because I was like, oh, if you have a business, you should have an Instagram. I didn't really use it much um, anymore. And I used it more so for announcements, like the office is closing for snow or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I'm going to start posting here just about basic emotional management. That if anyone comes across this and they're struggling, this will help. And so that's where the coaching kind of started from. I was putting out that content and then it kind of evolved from there to coaching working moms because being a working mom myself in this pandemic and just the, the atmosphere really changed, right? It used to be, you get your kid ready, they go to daycare or school and you go off to work and you have your day and then you're done and you come home and yada, yada. And that just wasn't my life anymore, right? Now I'm no. getting him up while I'm trying to answer emails while I'm entertaining him. And then I give him to my husband so that I can go do a session, right? And we're just passing him back and forth. And it was crazy, right? And then I still have to keep my house up and we have way more dishes than we ever did before because we're home all day. <laughs> and so I started just talking to different moms that were my clients and coaching them essentially, right? In their therapy sessions, they were just looking for answers. Like, how do I manage this? How do I you know, assign things to different times? The biggest concern that they were saying was like, you know, I'm trying to get work done. So I put my kid down for a nap or they're having some quiet playtime and I try to get stuff done. And all I do is answer a handful of emails and time's up. And so I noticed that myself as well. Like if I didn't have a plan, I would just kind of feel like, okay, I have to do this, 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 and this. What do I do first? I don't know. And you just kind of jump in, you open your computer, usually your emails are right there and you just start answering them, but you're not actually getting anything done of substance. So it just kept blossoming from there. And so now I coach working moms, whether they work from home or not, but just basically on that aspect of like, time management and what to do when and how and how to be a good mom but also a good employee but also a good spouse and keep the house up and teamwork with your spouse if you have one um so it's been a fun fun journey and i've kind of roped emotional management into it because that's at the forefront of everything right if i feel overwhelmed how am i going to do any of the stuff i just talked about right how am i going to manage my time if i'm feeling emotionally overwhelmed so all of that kind of coincided with emotional management it became this beautiful baby, so to speak. So what would be some tips? Okay. So I always go to block scheduling. And usually when I say that people are like, what? Um, but I find that if you're noticing you have this issue, the biggest thing you're probably not doing is planning for your time. And usually when I say that moms especially will say to me, yeah, I am right. I have to do lists or, you know, I organize myself in this way or that. And you're laughing. I'm wondering if you feel the same way because I was there, right? I had to do lists. I had many and I had notebooks and I wrote stuff down. I thought I was so organized. But when it came (laughs) to that time, right, to do something, I still got stuck in emails or phone calls Mm. and returning voicemails. And so block scheduling. Yeah, you're just playing catch up. Yes, yes, exactly. And you never catch up, right? Because like you're not actually getting anything done. (laughs) You're getting done like you're answering emails, right? And you're answering voicemails. But the substance of your day, like what's left, right? And those aren't helping any of your, like for me, I have clients, right? That's not helping any of my current clients. My emails are from prospective clients or from colleagues or spam, right? So like Mm -hmm. I wasn't actually helping any of my current clients by answering emails, but that was always the first thing I did. And I never felt caught up. Okay, so tell us how to block it out. Yeah, so, um, well, first what you need to do is figure out what you want your blocks to be, right? And I think this is so cliche in therapy that we always say like, well, it really depends, but it's so true, right? Your life is different than somebody else's. So first you have to figure out what are your blocks even going to be? Most people have about six and it's like, it doesn't matter what they're called, right? But usually you have like a morning, an early morning, a late morning, early afternoon, early afternoon, right? And so on. But you figure out what that time kind of looks like, but you block it out in literal blocks. Think about when you went to school, right? Middle school, you probably had, you know, science in one block and then you go on to math and so on. And so your schedule, block scheduling, runs the same way. You have a certain amount of time to get a certain amount of tasks done. When that time is up, you move on. And it doesn't mean that you can't move things around, right? If I don't get something done, I can always move it to later. But you have these predefined blocks. And usually when I say this, where people get stuck is that they think like, oh, this is great. But then they're like, wait, how do I have time for me or my family? How does that fall in? Like, I could do that at work, but I don't do that otherwise or Maybe I can do that on my weekend, but I can't do that during my work week. But everything applies, right? I schedule in time with my son, right? If it's my time to watch him, I'm not blocking my time to do other things. My time is blocked for him. So I actually have quality one-on-one time with him because I'm not trying to micromanage and do other things while hanging out with him. And I'm not, while I'm working, thinking about him, right? Because my Mm -hmm. time is blocked off Mm -hmm. because of that. So it's worked around me. So it's the same thing I always say to clients about, 
budgets. When you hear the word budget in terms of money, you always get negative, right? You're like, oh, that's something that's going to tell me where my money can go and it's not going to be any fun. But I think about it the other way. I used to be a financial coach and I guess technically I still am, but I don't have any financial clients right now. But I used to say to my clients, this piece of paper isn't going to tell you what to do. You're going to tell it what to do. You decide where your money goes. You want a house cleaner? Get one. Sure. We'll, we'll budget that in. It's just a give and take, right? If you pay for this thing, maybe you won't pay for that thing unless you have money for it. So your block schedule is the same way, right? You decide where your time goes that the paper doesn't decide. And so I'm deciding, right, when I want to do what, but everything has its place. So when I'm doing one thing, I'm not worried about all the other things on my list. And that's where the clarity mm -hmm. comes in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I have, you know, my own schedule too as an entrepreneur and have my hands in lots of different baskets. And I've recently found myself overwhelmed and recognized I just needed to block out my do nothing time. I needed to have the blocks of time where nothing was scheduled. Yes, yes. This word self care is so cliche, but that's so important, right? You need to have basic self care, right? Like getting enough sleep and drinking enough and eating enough throughout your day and things like that. But you also just need time to do nothing or time to do yeah. something that feels like nothing, right? Like binging a show or something. But when you block that in or out, so to speak, then everything else falls around that because that became a priority for you. Mm hmm. I feel way better now that I have more space in my calendar. I'll tell you what. And I feel better yeah. now that my son is back at school and my daughter as well. It's not like four people in the house all of the time. It's just two again. Yeah. I think that is a big change that a lot of families are going to see slowly. On my coast over here, not as much yet, but it's getting there. <laughs> um, but I love that you use the word more space in your calendar, because usually when I talk about this, people are like, oh, I'm going to have no space. But again, you decide. So I love that you blocking it in that way gave you more space because that's exactly what it's intended to do is to find that space that you define what it's going to be. And then when you're when you help your clients get that space, like you said, they're able to have um, more clarity because it's defined. And then where does the emotional management come in? Okay, so everyone's different, of course. So sometimes I start with that piece. Sometimes that's secondary. It really depends on what they feel like their most emergent pain point is, like what they're really struggling with and why they hired me, so to speak. Uh -huh. um, but the emotional management comes in because think about it, right? You might have this amazing plan, right? We can go back to the budget. You might have this amazing budget. But if you're kind of like meh that day, right? And to cheer yourself up, you're like, let's get takeout. But that's not in your budget you're going to get takeout and you're going to go over budget. And then maybe you'll say, screw the budget because now we're already over and what's the point. And so that's usually how I introduce it to my moms. I just say to them like, okay, we still need to talk about this emotional management piece because you can have an awesome plan. But if you're overwhelmed emotionally, whether it's by your kids or your spouse or the house or your work, whatever, all of the above, you're not going to be able to focus. I can't focus if I'm emotionally overwhelmed. All I'm focusing on is how crappy I feel. Mm -hmm. So that's where that piece kind of comes in. And so that's where my therapy hat kind of gets put back on. And we talk a lot about emotional wellness and like a lot of normalizing, like you can have emotions. I don't care if you're mad or sad. Or that's a good thing. But how do we let that out rather than keep it in and bottle it up? I always use this bucket analogy, right? If we think about ourselves as a bucket under a faucet, if we never turn that faucet off, we're going to overflow. And so it's very hard to turn off an emotional faucet, right? We can't really control what's happening around us. We can't control our boss piling on tons of work um, or our kids having a meltdown. Some of that stuff, maybe we can, we can uh, maneuver around or try to avoid, but not really, right? Things just kind of happen to us, around us, and they affect us. And sometimes not even intentionally, right? Every, we all have different backgrounds. So sometimes things affect us that people wouldn't anticipate would affect us. But if we can't turn all that off, we have to lower our bucket water some other way. And that's where I always teach those emotional management skills. If we're checking in on our bucket water, where am I emotionally right now, today, this morning, this afternoon, whenever I'm checking in, give it a number even, you know, one through 10, 10 being really high, right? Tons of emotion, really strong emotion. Then I know, like, I want to be at at least a five, right? We're not really going to be at a zero or one, nor should we want to be. I don't really want to be numb. I want to have feelings, but I don't really want to be super high either. So I tell my clients like five is where we're, where we're aiming for, right? You can have some water in that bucket. It's not going to overflow if something else happens. It's just, just going to get fuller. And then we need to empty it again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they notice that they're at like a seven or eight. And then what do they do? 
So this is where the fun therapist speak comes in again, where I say it really depends on the person. I always teach breath work because especially, you know, we talked about it in ketamine therapy. I love breath work. I love deep breathing. I love focusing on your breath. So that is like a no brainer. Everyone learns that we all do it together in session. It's lovely. And also body movement, because that's from my trauma background, trauma training. We need to get our bodies moving. Our bodies feel the emotion. And so sometimes just moving and whatever that looks like for each person, right? I am not a dancer. I am terrible. <laughs> so I'm not going to try to dance, but I will just move my my limbs and my torso around, right? Sometimes even just sitting, I'll move around. Um And so I say that to my clients, right? You can dance. If you're a great dancer, go for it. But otherwise, just kind of move your body around. Music, no Mm -hmm. music. I don't care. Lots of people love music. So sure, turn it on. But for some of my clients, it's going for a jog or a sprint. I hate running. That's not going to be me. But they love it. So it's whatever works for you, you know, like get, get that body moving. And I don't talk about it in terms of exercise, although, of course, it could be. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just more so like get your body moving. Your body is holding on to that stress. So let's let it out. Yeah, you're tense and energy is stuck and blocked and you're hardening and getting bogged down and feeling heavy. And what needs to happen is the energy needs to move, whether that's through breath or dance or jogging or any type of movement or yoga or whatever it might be, like you're saying. And that it's such a simple cure. It's really remarkable and quite funny how easy that is. Yes. I love that you said funny because that's what I say to my clients, right? Like you're hiring me because I'm this guru, so to speak, right? You think I have these amazing magic wand answers. And I say to them, like, it's nothing transformational in that way, but it's transformational because either A, you haven't thought about it in that way, or B, you haven't practiced it for that purpose, or maybe both, but it is very transformational. And it was transformational for me. And I always tell my clients this, right? Like I am no hippie or whatever you want to call it, right? I am not flowery. (laughs) I am like, I am like the Eastern medical model, right? I'm very buttoned up. Like I'm so type A. And so when I was learning these techniques, I was like, this is BS. Like this isn't going to work. And I breathe all day long. What are they talking about? (laughs) But I was like, you know what? Let me give it a try. And I love that at the time I had a client who was so the opposite of me and that personality, right? Loved deep breathing, was totally Uh into yoga and all that stuff. And so she really challenged me so to speak because she was like I love this stuff I want to talk to you about this stuff and I was like sure let's go for it but I was always very honest with her like you know I don't really believe in this stuff but let's try it and I was learning about it at the time I was like I'm gonna have more clients that believe in this and I need to experience it for myself and see how I feel and learn about it right exactly it was yeah. yeah it was so transformational for me like I was in this uh training I remember and they were doing some type of guided relaxation which I now love and we'll talk about all day long I could write a book but at the time, hated, right? So they tell us to close our <laughs> eyes and they're, they're guiding us on this journey. And my eyes are closed. And all I'm thinking about is wanting to open them and look around the room and see who's staring at me, right? And that probably speaks to my anxiety as well. But I just couldn't do it. I just kept thinking about it. I kept opening my eyes. Nobody else had their eyes open that I could see, but I couldn't enjoy it. And so I think they noticed, right? Because it was like a three-day training. So at the end of that first day, one of the people came up to me. And she's like, how did you feel? What did you think? And so I told her. And she was like, okay, let's have you sit at the back of the room tomorrow because we're going to do it again. And I don't want you to feel like there's eyes on you, but I just want you to relax and just experience it. And that experience, I think, really helps me with my ketamine clients because I tell them the same thing, right? Like, mm. I won't look at you if you don't want me to look at you. I will purposely do something else. Um, or I can look at you and be present with you, right? But I think it's so important to experience it. But that was really my start where I was like, this is stupid. Mm. I don't think this is going to work for me. And it's amazing. Like, now I tell my clients, I could breathe through a headache like a pounding headache. I'm the laziest person ever. I do not like to get up and get medication. And so I don't. And so there was one time where I couldn't fall asleep. My head was pounding so hard. And I was like, all right, I'm going to give it three breaths. And if it still hurts, I'm going to have to get my lazy butt up and go get some medication. And in like two breaths, I felt insanely better. And that was the key to me. That was the the unlocked door. I was like, okay, there's something here. Well, doesn't it make sense that regulation and health and healing come just through ourselves and our own system? Right, right. We hold the key. I think that's like such an important thing for people. I think like in our experiences in life, we just keep hearing that we don't, right? Like we're broken, we're bad, we need to be fixed, we need to be healed. That's the first thing I say to all my clients. Like, I don't think you're broken. I'm not here to heal you or fix you or parents who send their children to me. I'm not going to fix your child. They're not broken. And I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. It's just 
what's often needed is re-regulation of the of the yeah. body, of the central nervous system, of the minds, of calming the 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 self and the body and the being. And then you can land in the body and being in a way that you haven't in the past. I feel like most of us go through life as these disembodied heads, not even really aware that we have a body, except that sometimes it gets tired and we need to feed it. And sometimes we wash it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think especially in trauma, there's a disconnect there for some people, depending on what trauma they've experienced and how they kept their self, themselves safe in that trauma. There's oftentimes a disconnect from the body. Big time. Big time. Yeah. And so I, I, do you have examples again of that that you've seen in your ketamine therapy work? Examples of the body, like yeah, getting connected? Yeah, or again, like trauma, separation, disembodiment, and then going through therapy, they were able to come through a, a different state of being. Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I always go back to this one client who had really intense, severe sexual abuse. Um, multiple times, uh, really young, no one believed her, very, very intense, right? And she, to keep herself safe, disconnected from her body, of course, who wouldn't, right? In those experiences, you don't want to be connected. And there was a lot of shame there. And it was really affecting her now as a grown woman in her romantic relationships and just in her day-to-day -day life, of course. And so we used the ketamine to really reconnect and reground Obviously, there was a lot of work before that, right? With trauma, you don't want to reconnect too soon. Um, but it was so beautiful to see that journey. And in the ketamine experience is when we were able to talk about that disconnect and process that disconnect and the feeling mm -hmm. of wanting to reconnect but not feeling safe. The ketamine, I think, really helped us to rename it, so to speak. Like there was just this feeling of like we're going to move forward, but it's not going to be what it was. It's going to be different. Mm. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm Good. Beautiful. Have you noticed that by you? You know, I'm curious if any of your clients had an experience. It's uh, I've only been practicing with ketamine since July, so less than a year. But what I'm okay. seeing with some of my clients who have a lot of trauma, I think for myself, we're it's still an ongoing relationship. They're still in therapy with me. And when I see there's um it feels like we're hitting kind of a trauma wall and I can kind of sense that the deep tension in the body. Then I say, let's do a breath work session. And so then we'll do like an hour long at another session, breath work session to help clear and re-regulate. And then we go back into ketamine therapy. So I'm kind of sandwiching the ketamine therapy between or breath work between the ketamine therapy currently to help work yeah, with clients. Yeah. I love that. I think that's something that a lot of us are talking about now is like how to set it up, right? Like, do we have talk therapy during? Is it before? Is it after? Is it a combination of something like that? Um, and I've seen that as well. I really, I do still like the ketamine therapy during, but mm -hmm. I also see such a benefit from in between, like you were saying, I do a lot, like I call them coping sessions, which mm -hmm. sounds like what you're doing, right? Like we talk about a, how they're coping in their day to day. Cause I do think that's really important for them to be doing something different in between, like not thinking the medication's going to just do all the work for them or right? like, I'm going to do nothing different in my life, but I'm going to be transformed. Right. I don't think that's the case. Um, so we talk a little bit about that, but then we do a lot of practice. So it might be breath work. It might be a guided relaxation. It might be a ketamine playlist without ketamine, which is super fun. I learned that trick at Polaris actually. Um, and I really loved the idea behind that. So I've been incorporating that um, and a lot of processing, right? Like mm -hmm. processing the experience, processing what came up. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that that's so transformative. Yeah. And for my sessions, it's one reason why they tend to be around three hours is because we do a lot of processing afterwards. So yes. we'll, we'll still yeah. be in conversation for about an hour or so, depending. I mean, sometimes even an hour and a half, which seems to be pretty valuable because they're in such an open space. Yes. Yes. I totally agree. I think each of my clients are different. Like I have some that recover quicker and they're just like ready to go. Like I'm done. I'm ready to get out of here. 
And so they give me like, they pretty, they give me a pretty good amount of time, like 30 to 45 minutes, nothing tiny, but they're uh-huh. not giving me an hour or more. But then I have clients that really are like, whoa, I want to talk about this or that, or I want to piece this and this together. Um, Cause I do a lot, I take a lot of notes. Mm-hmm. A, because the ketamine sometimes makes them forget and I'm pretty forgetful myself, but B, it really helps me to help them integrate afterwards and process. And so sometimes they'll be like, okay, I remember saying this or that. And so I'll kind of jog their memory of where we were going or what we were talking about. And a beautiful conversation comes out of that. So I totally agree. I think it's so transformative to talk. Yep. Ditto. I kind of more guide them to take uh, that. I'm going to take notes while they're on the ketamine and that they could say anything that they want or anything that they might want to remember or anything that's important yes. to them. And I jot it down. So I have a whole list of notes too, that I, we were referencing back once they come out of it also. Yeah, and, yeah. and every it's client like is different. Yeah. Every client is different. I might have an expectation of a session going one way and it totally doesn't, which is always funny and interesting for me that you know, the the breadth of experience can be so huge, especially when you're opening to their own inner organic healing intelligence, right? That's the, the real guide in the situation. Yeah, I think that's what is fun for me. I feel like there's some therapists that like hone in on a specific skill set they want to use a specific client, and they're so happy there. But for me, I love the ketamine because even the same client, same dose, everything's the same can have a totally different experience. And I love that. I love that we're going on this journey together. We don't know where we're going, but we're safe and we're going to do it together. And it's always positive. I, I never find that I need to direct it or that we have to have the same experience as the time before. Mm-hmm. I love that about ketamine therapy. Well, you just said it's always positive, And that's what I was just thinking in my mind is, have you had experiences that maybe weren't positive for your patients? Yeah. Yeah. So when I was saying it's always positive, it's always positive to have no agenda, but I definitely have had clients that have had, I wouldn't say a negative experience because we do really try to hold the space for each client and we're, we're very honed in. Um, so the only times I've ever noticed it happening is in the initial doses, like where we're trying to figure out what the right dose is and everything for the client. Um, sometimes it's too high, right? Cause it's not an exact science. So if you're doing by body weight, there's a specific dose you may give, but it may be too high or too low for a certain client. And so the the negative experiences, so to speak, usually come out of that. Like the, whoa, this is very strong. I wasn't ready for this experience. Mm-hmm. Or the like, I was still in my body and I don't really feel like that much happened. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. It's That's what makes me laugh sometimes. We had this like small, petite, little person, right? Little woman. And the tiny thing, I'm pretty tiny myself. So I always um, say she's much like me, right? In body stature. And so her height, weight calculation um, was a certain dose, right? That was not that high. And it took us so many titrations up to get to a dose where she felt anything, Mm -hmm. which was so crazy to me because she was so small. You wouldn't expect that. And then we had a guy who was a bigger guy, right? That you would expect his dose to be quite accurate and be great. And it was a higher dose, of course, than her. Um, and he was like, this is way too strong. And we ended up cutting it in half. And that seemed to be a better dose for him. And that was like nowhere touching the dose the other woman got. So that always interests me that, you know, your dose is very person specific of what is going to work for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and sometimes it takes a little bit to get there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rita, I know you mentioned loving guided meditations and leading into relaxation and grounding. Is there perhaps an experience that you'd like to offer to our listeners now? We could, yeah. So what I actually do is rather than use my voice, which I have done in the past, I actually found a bunch on YouTube because I found that a lot of clients wanted to use them after the fact, right? So like in their day-to-day life, before bed, I talk about it a lot. Like if you're anxious before bed or you just want to have a deeper sleep, Uh totally try one before bed. And so that's why I found them all on YouTube because I figured we need one that's free, easy to access from anywhere. Um, And so I don't do them myself anymore. I'm out of practice, so to speak. Are you you willing to step onto the ledge and give it a shot? (laughs) I don't know if I am. I, I, I don't know. I haven't done it in so long.
song because I kind of, and also, I don't know, I feel like I, I don't love the sound of my voice. Oh, um, your voice is beautiful. I oh my gosh. <laughs> but you're like me. I have, I actually have a lot of recordings of my voice leading meditations, and I obviously have this podcast, and I can't stand the sound of my voice, and I listen to none of them. That's so interesting. So do you edit your own? I just assumed you edited your own podcast that you'd have to hear your voice all day. No, my partner editing. does. He does it. Thank you, Krishna, ah. for podcast editing. <laughs> He's a genius. That's good. Because I think that's one of the reasons why I don't want to do podcasts is A, I don't want to hear the sound of my voice and edit it all day long. And I get it. I know it's a tedious <laughs> amount of work. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. No, I don't know takes if, I, care if I'm that me. comfortable yet. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, I'm grateful to him. And he's done all my recordings for my meditations too. And he's uh, quite the master. He he cares a lot. So they sound pretty good, which I'm grateful for. So I understand yeah. your resistance. I do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if I if I had been doing it for, for a while and kind of knew where I would want to go with it, maybe. You, but you put me on the spot and I, maybe another time <laughs> I'll have to gear myself up, right? Well, I actually feel like you probably could do it because you've listened to it enough and you know where you want clients to go and you know what you would want the feeling to be. I feel like you're just trying to get me to say yes. <laughs> I'm, yeah. Yep. I'm curious. Okay. We'll change directions. Who on YouTube do you like? What meditations do you, do you give to your clients? Do you have favorite ones? That's a great question. Um, yeah. So I typically start people off with, um, like going to a place because I feel like that's the easiest journey. Like if you're visualizing a place versus just like focusing on breath or things like that. So that's usually where I go first. Um, and I have two favorites in terms of places, one's a beach and one's a forest. And it's funny because those are just generally, like, I feel like you're either a beach person or a forest person, or maybe you're both. But I've never met anyone that hates both of them. So that's where I started with it. But what's really funny is I told you the doctor and I met each other kind of organically. And so he had his office where he was doing ketamine set up somewhat already before we met. And he had one room that was for infusions that had pictures and paintings of like trees and basically a forest mm -hmm. and another room that had like boats and basically beach themed things. And I thought that was hilarious because I was like, oh, my two favorite guided relaxations go to these themes that you didn't even mean to do necessarily. Um, so we always laughed that like we were meant to be for some reason because we were in the same headspace, I guess you could say. Um, but the, the beach one is called Ocean Escape and it has music and it has sounds of the beach, like waves and birds. And anytime it's about 10 minutes and anytime mm -hmm. I do it, I definitely feel like I'm on the beach. It's lovely. Mm. Um, and then the other one is called a walk in the forest. And it also has, you know, music, but also the sounds of a forest, right? Like when you're walking on like tree limbs and it's crackling, um, <sighs> and they both start off with some relaxation, right? Like deep breaths and they get you in the zone. They tell you to relax, close your eyes. Both of the voices are very, um, calming to me. That's something that I talk to all my clients about, right? If you're going to do a guided relaxation, you really want to like the tones and sounds, the places that they're taking yes. you and the person's voice. Yep. It's true. otherwise that's all you hear. We get annoyed real quickly. Trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Or like it can really stir some things up. Like, of course I work with trauma clients and I had one who had some trauma around the church and I had a relaxation mm -hmm. that had some, some bells. I wouldn't really call them church bells, but of course, if you hear a bell and you have that trauma, it can very easily connect. And so we talked about that, right? Like what are some sounds or some things that you might not want to hear? I have had clients say like, oh, you know, my last vacation with so-and-so was on a beach and it really didn't go well, or you know, that person I broke mm -hmm. up. Okay. So we're going to avoid the beach. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to, to like assess that. Um, but so far I am pretty good with, if I've assessed that and we're good to go with either the beach or the forest, I haven't had anyone complain about any of the sounds or the tone of voice or anything. So those are still my go-to. I love them both. They're both about 10 minutes, which is also perfect for the ketamine experience. I like to give them at least 10 minutes with it. But so I you would do that guys. at the end of the session? At the end of the ketamine. So not necessarily uh -huh. the session itself, uh -huh. but when the ketamine is still running, the last 10 minutes of the ketamine, I try to make the ketamine experience, like if we're talking and processing, 
I want to make sure that there's some time for like self reflection, peace and calm, relaxation, processing thoughts, thinking to yourself, mm-hmm. not really being intruded upon. And so those relaxations really help to get them to just relax and listen. Yeah, that makes sense. And you're inspiring me. I'm going to make an ocean beach meditation. I'm going to do that. That's going to be yes. so fun. Oh my God, do it. And then share it because I'm going to use it with my clients. I will. I can't wait. I've never thought of that, <laughs> but it seems obvious to me. So thank you for that. Oh, and if you need more ideas, I've had a few clients ask for like ski, snow, mountain, <laughs> and I've had a problem finding those on YouTube where I was like, maybe I need to create it myself, but I don't, I don't want to. So I'm going to put it on you and maybe you'll make it. <laughs> okay. Like I don't think I could make a ski meditation, but I could certainly make a mountain snow meditation. Yeah, like maybe like you're at a ski cabin, right? Like set the tone for like you're on a ski cabin, mountainy. Yep, there's a yoga nidra meditation that I've been guiding for years and years and years and years. The first yoga nidra script that I ever got from my mom, and um, one of the scenes is walking through a mountain in the morning, and you're hearing the crunch of snow beneath your feet, and you're watching the sunrise. Then you get to the top of the mountain, and it's the dawn of a new day, and da 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 da. -da. It's beautiful. It's one like the classic meditations. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I love that. All right. Well, no worries. You're helping me now, right? (laughs) (laughs) No worries that you don't want to do a meditation for us. It's fun to know, you know, and I guess in some ways inspiring for those that are listening where they're like, oh, I don't have to lead the meditation. I can pull up a recording. Yes. Yes. I think that was really helpful for me too. Because when I first started, I mean, you pretty much know your clients. So I kind of knew where I wanted to take them. But I, at one point I was like, I want something other than my voice. Like it's, it's beautiful mm. when it's your voice, I feel like, because the client has a safe space with you. But I think it's also great to have them open up to other realities and voices and people and safety in that. Yeah. Um, and I love accents. Like personally, I just love accents. Um, so the other one I was going <laughs> to recommend was the honest guys, because they have an accent. And I don't know, that just draws me. I feel like everyone loves accents. Who doesn't? So, you know, having some, everybody's some Siri has an accent. sounding voice. Right. Exactly. But I, I don't know. That just always draws me in. It makes me feel calm. I don't I don't know if it makes me feel like I'm on vacation. I have no idea. But I, I love that. And they also have various uh, timed ones. Like some are five minutes, some are 10 minutes, some are 30 minutes. So mm-hmm. I love that as well, that they had a range of time that you can use. What are their names again? The Honest Guys. Oh, Honest. The I Honest believe, Guys. Yeah. Okay, cool. I believe they're on Spotify as well, um, but they have way more on YouTube and they're all free. So why not? Oh, fun. Well, I've got a meditation yeah. album on Spotify and on all the streaming platforms called Guidance. I'll send it to you. Yes, please do. Yeah. I do them all the time, especially in this pandemic. I feel like that is my go-to, like breath work, of course, body movement, I love lying down the floor with my feet up a wall, maybe doing a guided relaxation. So I like send me all of them. I love all guided relaxations. And even if they're not guided, I also do enjoy some that are not guided, but you feel like you're in a certain kind of space. Because of the music. Yeah. Like I found a few that are just like sounds and music that plays, but based on the sounds, you kind of know where, I mean, you imagine where you are. It doesn't tell you where you are, but you can imagine mm-hmm. where you might be. And I like those too, because it's up for interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's so great. Well, wonderful. Rena. it's been so just fantastic connecting with you and hearing about your world and your work and how it's all blending and merging and growing. And I'm just grateful to know that you're out there on the East Coast doing what you're doing. Yes. Yes, I'm so glad we were able to connect. It's so crazy we connected on a listserv. Like, who would have thought? But I'm so happy we did. <laughs> Where can people find you if they want to find you outside the listserv, the listserv that we're on? So my Instagram for my coaching is Remedies with Rena. Um, and that's where I'm most active in terms of social media, simply because it takes up a lot of time. I did not know how much time it takes to create a post. Like I'm no graphic designer, so I didn't imagine it would be quick, but who who knew? So that's the best place to reach me. Um, and my email is linked through there. My website is linked through there. Um, so that's probably the easiest, quickest way to mm-hmm. find me. Okay, Remedies with Rena on Instagram. And I'll put a link in the show notes as well. 
Okay, awesome. Yeah. And if anyone's welcome to DM me about anything. I know that the the page is geared towards mom coaching, but we can always connect about any of the other things we talked about or share links. There actually is a um, a link on my profile page there with some guided relaxations. So like all the ones I mentioned are linked there. Oh, awesome. Great. Wonderful. Okay, yeah. cool. Cool. Well, thank you again, Rena. And um, I know we'll connect again soon. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. <laughs>